Thanks for downloading a 3CR podcast. 3CR is an independent community radio station based in Melbourne, Australia. We need your financial support to keep going. Go to www.3cr.org.au for more information and to donate online. Now stay tuned for your 3CR podcast. Welcome to Freedom of Species, bringing animal advocacy to the airwaves. Uh, Everything, really, the whole spectrum from animal rights to conservation and, importantly, appreciation. We are broadcasting from 3CR Studios in Melbourne, Australia, and all podcasts and recent programs are available Firstly, on the 3CR website, then when we get it together, we put them on the Freedom of Species website and iTunes. So thank you so much for tuning in. I'm Emma Townsend and producing and co-hosting today's show is uh, Andy Medic from the Animal Justice Party and also occasional Freedom of Species host. Andy, you are, just to remind new listeners out there, remind old listeners and new listeners, you're the Western Regional Leader for the AGP, what area is that? So basically that covers uh, a fairly expansive area through the western region of Victoria. If, if you look at it um, basically in a triangular shape from Geelong all the way along the coastline to the South Australian border and then up to the South Australian Northern Territory border and then back down towards Geelong in a rough triangular shape. It, it it's kind a of, big triangle. It is a big triangle. It, <laughs> it basically covers the, um, the regional area of western regional Victoria in the uh, Electoral Commission boundaries. Cool. And you're here today to talk about the Say No to Nuchev Farm campaign. Yeah, that's right. That's the intensive yeah. goat factory application that went in the Lara area. Cool. All yeah. right. Before we get to that, I think we should have a Mother's Day moment. Absolutely. So just a shout-out to all the mums out there. Happy Mother's Day and also to uh, those people who perhaps feeling a bit uh, down or depressed um, because they may have lost their mums today. Our sympathies go out to you. And to remind you to, if you are feeling the effects today, please contact relatives or friends and have a chat with them. And also get in touch with the Lifeline number. I think you've got written there. Yeah, yeah. So if, if today has triggered any uncomfortable feelings, there is Lifeline to call on one three triple one four. And I think it's also appropriate that we recognise um, that today also represents um, a bad day for all the mums in the agricultural industry, all the animals that uh, are at at risk there, um, and in particular those mums in the dairy industry to remind people that, you know, dairy cows have their children ripped away from them in a very short space of time, um, and this causes terrible feelings of loss between both calf and mother. It's interesting that still a lot of people don't realise that for a dairy cow to produce milk, she must be 
impregnated mm-hmm. pretty much every year, have a calf. That calf is then stripped away from her within 24 hours of birth, which is most of the time, mm-hmm. if not all, an incredibly traumatic experience for the um, cow. And the animal ac- agriculture industry, they kind of turn it perversely around to be a marketing opportunity because they show people feeding calves or come to this farm or feed calves you know how cute is that not knowing the truth of course some calves are kept to join the herd Mm -hmm. female calves but the male bobby calves specifically tripped off to the slaughterhouse within five days old that's right to legs, become... legs not even strong enough no. to walk up the slaughterhouse ramp, which is extremely awful. And people don't realise when they're purchasing veal in a supermarket or in a butcher shop, this is what they're buying. It's terrible. Mm. Anyway, let's not lose ourselves mm. in that despair and get on with today's show. All right, oh, so the Say No to Nuchev campaign is has been campaigned robustly by a campaigner who was going to join us today, but unfortunately is not feeling well. That's right. That's a resident of Lara Bronwyn-Baker, who um, has really been the driving force behind this whole campaign. The, the community's gotten behind her and she's had some great support and and, and they formed a, a great committee there. But um, this has largely been driven by her. And Bronwyn sends her apologies. She's very unwell today. Um, and... This campaign has taken up so much of her time. She's had to take time off work, um, unpaid leave, all sorts of stuff, and and she really has to get her health right and get back to work. Um, And there's also uh, a big shout-out to Bronwyn today. I hope you're feeling better. Hope you're feeling better, Bronwyn. Um, And and a lot of people don't realise as well that during the midst of all this campaign, Bronwyn was running a lot of this from the bedside of her brother who was in a Charlie Gardner Hospital in Perth. Um, her brother fell ill with his when he was on holidays with his family in Bali. Um, drastically ill, his life was at, at, at threat. Had to be medevaced to Perth and then stabilised, and then over back here. And, and I believe he's still in Royal Melbourne Hospital as we speak. So this is over a period of a couple of months, two or three months. So she was running this whole campaign from the bedside of her brother, wow. which is an extraordinary effort. So hats really should be taken off oh, the Bronwyn. It's a, just an example of what so many people in the animal rights community, they take on these campaigns and that's it. They they really, they're their babies and they, uh, hats off, they're such warriors, they really get things done mm-hmm. and never drop the ball. So let's get to it. What's new, Chev Andy? Okay, so Nuchev are an international dairy company uh, focusing predominantly on goats. They have operated out of New Zealand initially um, and have spread their wings to Australia. Um, They largely, as I say, they provide um, processed goat's milk to the powdered milk market in China. Um, They they started out, as I say, in New Zealand. They've spread to Australia. And what they did was that they wanted to expand their market into China and saw Australia and particularly the western region of Victoria as an ideal place to do so. So what they did was in September of 2015, they put two applications before the city of Greater Geelong, one for an intensive feedlot area out of Mirable Shire, uh, in goat factory out there, and another one for Lara. The two applications varied somewhat um, in numbers of goats and what the 
what the true um, application was hiding. Now, it's important to point out that the applications were both approved but by the administrators of the City of Greater Geelong. Because at that stage, the City of Greater Geelong councillors had actually been sacked by the Andrews State Labor government. So this is back in 2015? That's right. So I just want to zoom in there, Andy, on... We're talking about a huge international corporation, That's UTEP, right, yep. And had, do they own land here uh, already? No, no they don't. Oh, well, okay. I, I'm not sure about the Moorable land, but yep. I can tell you that the Lara land, they, they didn't even purchase it. Okay, so they, so they were, put the permits through council. Absolutely. They applied for a permit through council before they purchased the land. That's right. The, the, okay. As I understand it, the purchase would have gone ahead had they all been approved okay. and everything was going ahead as they planned. So, Back in 2015. Yeah, that's right. Well, you had a lot of – wasn't there a lot of uh, robust uh, submission, submissions protesting absolutely. the permit? Absolutely. The, the original – well, yeah. the original objections totaled over 350 and there was a 3,500-plus signature petition that was presented to the administrators. Now, these were three administrators appointed by the state government and we believe uh, – and, and the argument is that they erred – Right, because it wasn't representative of the people of Geelong. They weren't. They didn't come from Geelong. They were all Melbourne residents, and they were appointed and placed there by the state government. So they had no real idea or concern, for that matter, of the feelings or the health or, or all the surrounding issues for the people of Lara in particular, but also for the greater community of Geelong. Their brief was to bring the budget of the city council under control and to help eliminate the bullying and, um, and harassment culture that had existed within the council. So that's what they did, and they were quite successful at that, but the cost to the community in terms of applications like this one with Newchev was far greater. So they completely disregarded all those um, submissions that were against it? Uh, basically, yes. They uh, they recognised that they were presented. They spoke to it to say, we understand that the community has concerns. Um, however, we will vote now and approve. And that's what they did. To bring more money into... Exactly. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. You are on Freedom of Species Animal Advocacy on the airwaves. And Andy Medic has come in to tell us about the no-goat um, farm and feedlot in Lara campaign. I just want to zoom in there, Andy, on what are we talking about? What does it look like? Because it's for a goat feedlot cross factory farm. What does this look like for listeners? Okay, so the, the application is for a basically a shed which will house 4,500 goats in an intensive situation. Um, they are not allowed to leave the shed. They are kept within its confines where they will live, breed and then be moved into the milking facility and then back again. So this is an intensive factory farm in every sense of the word. Attached to that is the milk processing plant. Now that has a footprint of approximately four hectares and it's 27 metres tall, so the height of a 10-storey building and it has a dryer exhaust stack to 34 metres. So this is an enormous development. Now, here's where it gets a bit funny, you see, because the area, the, the, the land that it's going to be put on is zoned for farming. So if you were to put a milk processing plant there or want to put it there, you would be knocked back because it's an, the inappropriate zoning for the use, use of the land. 
um, it would have to go into industrial area, of which there is none available for them for a development of this size. So in my opinion and the opinion of many other people, this move to put goats on the site was a cynical move in that they put 4,500 goats there. Yes, it assists in the milk processing plant, but the processing plant, to my mind, is what the end goal was. Because you have to consider, you have to remember that Avalon Airport is very, very close to Lara. It's just a hop, skip and a jump. And recently, uh, Avalon Airport has had its, um, its capacity upgraded to international freight. And AirAsia is operating out of there and flies direct to China. So a cynical person would say, let's put some goats on there just to make it worth our while and to get the, 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 satisfy the planning permits. Planning regulations. Sorry, how does that satisfy the planning permit? Right. You can have um, an industrial application um, as long as it's attached to farming because the primary use of the land is for farming. Okay. So to get around that, I mean, you're allowed to have certain processing applications along with that provided the primary use is farming. So this isn't a situation where they put goats on in order to satisfy that requirement. To get that land close to the airport. Yes. So the milk powder can be quickly transported as a trade. Absolutely. Yeah, yep. Absolutely. Avalon Airport, okay. A- attached to that, though, and this is, the, this is the problem as well, and this is where we run into um, a little bit of the legalities, is that the council itself, when it received the application, is bound by the state planning regulations to make sure that surrounding properties are informed so by letters, etc., and notices in a paper, that sort of stuff. Um, but only those that directly uh, the, the regulations state that only they only need to notify those that directly adjoin the, the planned facility. In this instance, that is a number of properties that are unoccupied or have other industrial applications on them. So no actual residents. So no residents were sent, no people living in the area close by, within 500 metres, for instance, actually received any notification from council. Now, it states within the regulations that the planner has the option of expanding that notification area. And in this instance, the planner did not take up that option. It's, he doesn't – it's not mandatory. They, it's not yeah, mandatory. They chose not to. They chose so they basically to. put all those letters that they were going to um, plan that uh, factory farm uh, – in an industrial area where, you know, you've got lots of warehouses and there's no one there. That's anyway. exactly right. So, but they can look back in their records and say, no, we did That's exactly right. It's, comply it, and it, we it's notified council, the community. Exactly. It, it's council using semantics to, to satisfy a requirement legally. And mm. that's all it is. Hence, um, when um, the original applications were approved... Um, a gentleman by the name of Gerald Knoll and, and his neighbours out in Moorable, where the second application was for, were up in arms. And together they, they pulled their resources and went to VCAT. And on a number of different issues, they were able to have that application overturned. And, and this is where it gets a bit muggy. Um, there were two original applications to VCAT of residents in the Lara area one of whom could not attend. Um, now, Nuchev and, and VCAT um, approached and, and said, look, there's going to be a compulsory um, consultation meeting. 
in order to try and resolve this issue. Now, one of the these objectors could not attend because of ill health. They had open heart surgery and so could not attend. And the other objector was recently in on the, the front page of the Geelong Advertiser and other papers um, stating that he had felt bullied because when he attended the meeting, he didn't have legal representation himself, yet Newchev's lawyers were there, counsel was represented, and he says in, and in the paper, and I'm paraphrasing here, that he was basically told that um, either he withdraws his application or they would make life extremely hard for him in that um, he um, may or may not have buildings on his property that may or may not have council approval and that they would make sure that that was looked into. <gasps> that's, that's, I, I'm sniffing a bit of a threat. Yes, absolutely. Like One could dare, see that. if um, you this application, we might say that you uh, have a bit of a gap in your fence there that doesn't comply to a certain regulation. That's exactly right. That, that's the implication. That's yeah. the implication that was made to him. Um, and he also stated that uh, the lawyers for Newchev basically said, um, well, we'll also make life really hard for you financially. We will take this as far as we need to take it, and it will financially ruin you so he 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 states in in these articles that he felt pressured um and so he signed a mediate the the papers saying that he withdraws his 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 objection now this all surrounds um the fact that when you look at that from from a planning perspective that's one aspect so you've got all these legal aspects going on but it doesn't detract from the fact that the concern of the residents in in Maine is because Lara is a place of community for those that don't know it that is surrounded by farmland it's in an, it's a, a, a community that has different types of, of farming surrounding it in in all areas you know and and, and industrial applications as well um, but the biggest threat to the residents here is the threat of Q fever a zoonotic disease which is transported by a spore in the dust um, that is created in uh, feces and, and urea, etc., of, of of animals. Right. Andy, I'm just going to stop you there because I remember chatting before this show. Um, there is a relationship here about and specific to Q fever, which really goes back to the placenta mm-hmm. of a goat. Can you, let, let's have a little biology lesson here. Okay. Tell us about what placentas have to do with this campaign. Well, I didn't know this. I, I knew that, that, that the, the, the bacteria stayed alive in the faeces, etc. Um, but um, Dr. Tim Ramashi, who is a good friend of ours in the AJP, um, said to me, oh, look, you know, the, probably the, the biggest creator of this, though, is in the placenta. I said, what do you mean? And she said, well, in one goat placenta of an affected animal when they give birth. And remembering that this facility isn't just to house the goats and, and, and milk them, this is a breeding facility as well. Um, in one placenta, there are millions of these bacteria for Q fever just in one one discarded placenta. So when we talk about the fact that Nuchev had in their application and, and when you look at the design of the single shed that these animals to be kept in, they have these shutters that are electronically activated, you know. Um, and, and when you look at the design of those and what they submitted in their planning application, the, the builder, the manufacturer of these shutters actually states they've never been used in this kind of application before. So they're putting a theoretical, you know, control measure in here, one that's never been tested or tried in Australia. 
is that on days when the wind is below a particular rate, they will open the sides of the shed to try and mitigate the smell. But Q fever is, the bacteria is airborne. What is Q fever, Andy, for right, people it's, that don't know? Well, it's a zoonotic disease that's, that um, is transferable to human beings and, and is highly contagious. Um, it causes a number of, of different um, symptoms, um, which in some ways are flu-like, um, but imagine the worst possible flu that you could ever really have. It would knock you right off your feet. Um, headaches, migraines, um, etc. Um, also uh, loss of energy to the point of, um, I'm trying to think of what's the name of it, um, where you have chronic fatigue syndrome. Um, and and very very severe chronic fatigue syndrome and in so court, it can be a fatal disease absolutely. let alone a very serious illness. Well, th- th- and this is a relevant point too. Um, in the only other facility that comes close, th- th- this facility it must be said, it's the largest of its type that's ever been built anywhere. It hasn't been built to this size in the world. And and a for similar Are you talking facility, about the actual? Um, the f- breeding factory farm, That's the right. four hundred four and a half thousand breeding goats in one shed confined. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So the, the the risk management is enormous. And to give you an example, the, the closest one they have, as I say, is in the Netherlands. And when they had a Q fever outbreak there, seventy four people died. All right. So this is a, a this is a public health issue as well. And they're saying that if they just open the side windows, that this would take that care will take of it. Care of of the smell. They were concerned about the smell. The smell, but the Q fever can be that, that, that in they the are wind. directly contributing to the transportation okay. of, of of the virus. Um, and that it's worth also pointing out that 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 town in the Netherlands, it's now ten years from the initial outbreak, and people are still being diagnosed. You can't get rid of it. Right. Once you are infected with it, you've got it for life. That's the end of the story. Children under 15 years old cannot be inoculated. At particular risk are children and the elderly. Within 500 metres of this facility in Lara are primary schools, kindergartens and aged care facilities. So the very people who are at the greatest risk are within the closest proximity to this development. Now, if that's not a public health issue, I don't know what is. And and one story, if, if you don't mind, that sticks with me um, quite dramatically in my mind is one of the ladies who, who lives close by to Lara, one of her children, her son, who is only is less, less than a year old at the moment, has a, a, a hole in his heart. Right? He has a heart condition. Their GP has said to her outright, if your son will be infected with Q fever... He will pass away. He, he he won't survive because he is his immune system, his entire way of life at the moment is already compromised, and this disease will will take him out. I know that we're concentrating quite primarily at the moment on the public health um, consideration here, and obviously that's person centric. We are an animal advocacy show, and we'll get into more of the animal welfare concerns. Um, a little bit later, but also Lara is they're really kind of promoting that as there's a lot more estates being built down there for people to live down there. Is that right? So this is very much from that public health perspective. Absolutely. A big concern for people looking at property down that way. Um, there are a massive amount yeah. of housing estates that are going in that area. The, yeah. the city of Greater Geelong has identified its northern corridor 
as the next big growth area and are promoting it as such. And there are a number of developers, high-profile developers, that uh, house and land packages, for instance, that are, they already have estates that are close by to it and there are more planned. And the city itself is approving more every few months. Like it, it, This is what is happening. They are that they have placed in what had already been identified as a as a residential growth corridor these administrators have placed a direct health threat to all of these residents in their path you are on freedom of species animal advocacy on the airwaves and andy medic from the animal justice party um, has come in today to talk about the say no to Nuchev, Nuchev, sorry goat breeding farm what what do we call it Oh, it's a goat. It's a factory. Yeah, factory. That's what it is. Um, I think we'll have a break there, Andy. What do you think? Fantastic. Yeah. We play a bit of music. Yep. Okay. Yep. So what I'd like to play, if we can, is the community of Lara has rallied around on this subject, and um, they've adopted um, Tom Petty's song "I Won't Back Down." So if we could play that, Absolutely. I think they would appreciate that. You are on 3CR, 855 AM, the Freedom of Species show, Animal Advocacy on the Airwaves. And that was a song by Tom Petty called Won't Back Down. And we're just hearing how the Say No to Nuchev goat farm campaigners are definitely not backing down. Andy Medic uh, is talking about this campaign for us today. Uh, Andy, we're talking about four and a half thousand individual goats, breeding goats, breeding mothers mm-hmm. in a big shed. Yep, that's right. Why four and a half thousand? Okay, for a start. It, it again, it's a cynical number. Um, and that is because it falls under the number that compulsorily um, means that they have to acquire EPA works approval. If they had gone to 5,000, they would require that approval. At 4,500, they don't. And it's worth, it, it has to be said as well that uh, because some people so don't. So, Environment Protection Authority, they don't yes. have to comply with certain. Certain aspects, yes. I know that, I know your, your of- silence of, of EPA works. Like so, um, water management, waste management. There's a, there's a whole gamut of things that they won't have to comply with, that they won't have to submit a management plan for, because they fall under the threshold on farming zoned land. That's why. So does that mean there's less um, restrictions as That's far exactly as it. water and how Absolutely. you manage your intensive factory farm? Absolutely. And, and because I want you've people... only got four and a half thousand yes. individual goats, but that's still a lot of It's, it's a lot. No, I think and I, to give people a mental picture, if people just want to imagine this for a moment, we're talking about essentially a, a, a an open-sided colourbond shed that's 214 metres long by 139 metres wide in which those goats will be housed, fed and milked. Now, the same shed includes a holding area and milking parlour where all the goats will be milked twice a day. It's water management infrastructure for, for getting water to the goats, feed storage units, staff areas, refrigerated holdings for bodies of deceased goats 
and 15 staff car parks. So there's not much room left for the goats. That's all within this one building. Now, estimates that we've had um, from various sources tell us that they'll either, it, it, because the goats will move around their herd creatures. You know, if, if, if what space they do have is available to them in there, it's any varies anywhere from one square metre to three square metres per goat. Some will stand aside from the herd, others they will bundle together. So that means that you'll have goats with like one square metre per goat and then if you've got a couple that stand aside from it, they might have three square metres at maximum. And they will spend their entire lives in that shed? Absolutely, in that environment. Never seeing the light of day, having the wind on their face, grazing, they will be completely fed from grain that is supplied into into the the troughs inside the shed and um, impregnated. Absolutely. To have goats, mm-hmm. um, and yeah, okay. So it's also, I think, relevant to point out, um, as I said before, about the whole planning process. Um, why? Um, council like the whole thing of like not notifying the residents okay that initially when a lot of the lara residents became aware of it simply because bronwyn and because as the ajp we had put in um, original objections to the original planning um we were deeply involved in following the case and and so was bronwyn in that respect um so when we found out and, and bronwyn found out that the murable application had been knocked back by vcat and and here's this is a key thing here. VCAT knocked it back because the risk management plan for the Murable Shire was deemed to be entirely inappropriate in that it didn't meet their satisfaction that the Q fever risks could be contained to a sparsely populated community. This is why we believe that Newchev went on the front foot to speak to these other objectors in Lara and, and basically, from all accounts, heavied them into removing their objections. So, okay, they, they didn't get Mirable Shah, so mm. let's go to the next one close and here's, to the airport. That's right, and here's the interesting thing. The same risk management plan was deemed appropriate for Lara, a heavily populated area. That's completely hypocritical. So these were all things that we took to council. Once we were actually able to get duly elected councillors back into the city of Greater Geelong, then the first thing that happened was there was a community meeting called by Bronwyn. There were over 800. Some of the estimates say that there was would have been well in excess of 1,000 people in community of Laro 10 because it spilled outside of the hall that it was held in and out into the surrounding area. All of them were in up in arms. They were, there was uproar. So this has been a concerted campaign that almost every single council meeting has been held since has been dominated by this community. They have turned up. The council chambers where the meetings are held only hold 250. They have filled it. They have spilled out. So when this the, um, the objection then came up to the council, like it was raised with council, to put um, a motion to council from, from councillors to take it to VCAT to overturn their own decision... It was voted in favour of that six to four. And it was voted on those two key areas. The councillors who voted in favour of taking it to VCAT was voted on the key area of that the residents weren't duly informed because the process was flawed. Because the legal problem is that in order to overturn your own decision, it has to be shown that there was a corruption of the process. Ah. And this is the legal standpoint. We believed, and those councillors that voted in favour of overturning the decision believed there was a corruption of the process. Now, when we talk corruption, we don't mean that money exchanged hands. I'm quick to point that out. What we mean is is that the, the process in itself wasn't followed properly. It was flawed. 
that's what we mean. So that we believe there was a corruption of the process and we believe that also the risk, the other two factors, we believe that the risk to human health was not given enough consideration by the three administrators, that that was not given anywhere near enough due consideration. And thirdly, that this type of development was in, not in keeping with the community of Lara in that it is an intensive factory farm and it is by its nature cruel. The fact that these animals were to be confined for their entire lives, as I said before, not seeing the sun, not having the wind on their face, not grazing, not being able to exhibit all of the natural behaviours that any animal of this type would experience was in and of itself cruel and immoral by nature. So that's why we put those cases through. And we won. And it is going to VCAT. It's still going to VCAT. It's still going to VCAT. We are hopeful that it can be upheld, that the, 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 the stance will be upheld, um, and that VCAT turn around and say, yes, that because the precedent is there from the Murable decision, based upon wholly and solely on the risk management factors. So basically, at the to, for it to go to VCAT, though, you have to, what you've just said is, rely on the fact that there was a, a the, the procedure That's wasn't right. adhered to. You can't just rely on all the other um, points of like odour. No, and no. no. Look, all of those done. things can be presented when you actually yeah. get to the hearing, right? So, yeah. so the VCAT panellist can take those into consideration, yeah. but the actual point of law... That, that requires you to get to VCAT in the first place is that that, that the process was flawed yep. and that's what council because found. Because the so, permit's already been given. That's right. Ostensibly. So now it must be that the process was flawed. That's that, right. That's your... The council's own presenting. decision was um, inappropriate um, because of that particular point. And, and again, because, you know, perhaps they weren't in possession of all of the... Uh, you know, the, the, the information they needed to make that decision and that can also be well argued that they weren't. Right. Um, because it, and I don't know if you've sat in on many council meetings where applications go before them, but um, they always refer back to the chief planning officer who makes a recommendation to approve or not approve a particular development. Mm-hmm. And that planning officer looks at all of the um, information surrounding the development, the information given by the developer, by objectors, if there are any, and what are the rules under the state planning scheme and the actual Shire's own planning scheme. And if something adheres to that, then he has or she has no real reason to not approve or not to recommend to approve unless there are mitigating factors. And this is where we believe there was the erring. They didn't follow the right procedure in our opinion and in the community's opinion because no actual residents were informed. You're on 3CR 855 AM, the Freedom of Species show, and we've been talking about the Say No to Nuchev Goat Facility um, campaign. And I've learnt, because I didn't know really much about this issue at all, that, it, you know, factory farms don't just suddenly appear. There is a due process that they need to go through to get off the ground. And the planning requirements do differ according to different zones. But mm. I've also learnt that, you know, it, there's multinational companies here with a lot of money behind them wanting to make the most of the supply chains and the trade routes with China. And this is a clear example of where can we get Mm -hmm. land, get that milk powder to China quickly and swiftly. That's right. And I I think I should say too that that it's funny when you look at this in terms of how this has also been reported in media as well. Uh, The major news outlet in Geelong is the Geelong Advertiser and it covers the Lara area and Karai, the whole 
area. And their editorial staff have taken the view that this is a waste of time, that council are incompetent because um, they're they're very pro-business, they want development and they want jobs. Um, and they're saying that, that this could potentially cost the city of Greater Geelong and therefore all its ratepayers, not just the Lara community, $60,000 plus if they lose at VCAT. Or even then if they win, it still could cost them that amount of money because the option is open to New Chev to, to ask VCAT to approve its costs, which could range up to that, and that's why that magical figure of 60000 plus is being put. Mm. It's worth pointing out, though, that the council is also about to um, approve plans for to build itself a new centralised office, which will cost one hundred million dollars. So those same councillors who did object to council in the, in the vote, a six to four vote, have no problem spending one hundred million dollars on offices for themselves, but are averse to spending sixty thousand dollars on the health of the community of the people of Lara. And it's a very real. Um, it's the like major bullet point that you you the campaign has on its side is that the very real risk of Q fever to bring that disease into the community mm. is um, because it's been shown that it can, it, you know, 74 people died. In, 74 people in the Netherlands, that's right. In the right. Netherlands from it. It's a very real disease and that could potentially, if you want to look at the <laughs> that other side of economically, that could that could cost Lara a lot more in the future. Oh, absolutely. I mean, you imagine, like, you know, they're talking about, as I say, this magical figure of $60,000. Yeah. Can you imagine the lawsuit if one person, just one person dies from Q-fever in the Lara area or broader? This is, they, they, they talk about an area that's a buffer zone of approximately five kilometres where the dissipation of, of the bacteria will, will fall, right? That, like there's, if you look at it um, okay. from like a drop zone of a bomb, for instance, you know, out in concentric circles, the highest risk is close by and then that risk gradually dissipates the further you get out. Five kilometres is where they say, right, this is where it's at its most intense. That also covers Carayo, which is an intensely populated area and other surrounding areas like that. So this is potentially lots and lots and lots of people. Um, so if one person dies, council will better look out for because the lawsuit that will come up against them will cost them infinitely more than $60,000 in costs. But there's also the that side of the odour, isn't there, mm-hmm. Andy? Um, yep. It's a very windy area. That's and, right. And um, I don't know if anyone's been remotely near a big... Um, factory farm, but the stench is outrageous. It certainly is. And um, if you're if you've got property around anywhere there, given certain winds, you, you might get a whiff of that, and it's not. That's not a good right. Smell. The smell of cruelty is not a nice smell to that's, have wafting through the backyard with the kids. That's exactly right, and it is worth pointing out that Lara around that area is a very open area. And the wind, it's, a, it's one of the windiest areas in Victoria. Um, I, I did a little exercise and I, I remember looking at it a little while ago and I can't remember the figures off the top of my head, but over a period of about um, 18 months um, that we looked at, because um, Newtje was saying that you know they will only open the shutters of this when the wind speed falls below, I think it was 10 or 15 kilometres an hour, I could be wrong there, but it's somewhere around that, it's very low. And that over a period of 18 months, the, the wind speed had only dropped to that or below or like three to four times in a period of 18 months. The rest of the time it was above that. So the stench is going to be enormous. Mm. It's just going to be incredible. Um, Andy, I think we better finish there because you've got some con- community service announcements to tell us. So I, I, be- before we get to them, though, um, we haven't concentrated on... Uh, so much the animal mm. 
uh, cruelty aspects today of the individual because we just wanted to zoom in and highlight the actual nuts and bolts of the campaign. That's right. Um, and how, you know, how to really have an effect you well, have and, to be like person centric and that, that's right, at, the, at the moment. So that's right, yeah. um for this at the current point in time to be effective. So yeah, hopefully people have got a got some inspiration there anyway, with have mm. a look around your area if you're kind of in that farming zone at all or that's even right. if you're not in the farming zone around keep a lookout for these developments absolutely um, and if you know there are p- resources out there and people such as yourself that you can get in contact with to maybe get some pointers as to how to put a submission in against these mm-hmm. facilities and, and welcome that um, and it is uh, it has to be pointed out that unfortunately under the state planning scheme Matters of animal cruelty are not considered under the Planning and Environment Act 1987. So when a, a facility is looking for approval, if you want to make an objection, you can state all those things, you can put that in there, and certainly um, from a moralistic point of view, those who are making the consideration might look at that, but they are bound under the law that they don't have to consider it, and it's, it, they're not part of the legal considerations. And that's why today we've concentrated on those legal considerations. But from our perspective from uh, uh, the, the Animal Justice Party's perspective, from Freedom of Species perspective, and from anyone out there that's got concern over that matter, this development doesn't stack up. It doesn't stack up from an animal cruelty perspective because it is one of the most shockingly cruel environments for an animal to live and die in because, let's face it, that's what's going to happen. Um, and then and I always take a, a leaf out of... Um, I was really inspired by Joe MacArthur when she came to Australia, and and I, I the I photographer, like, the photojournalist. Yeah. Yep, I, I like to live by something that she she says. You know, she says we are all animals, we animals. So the human animal is part of that whole spectrum, and we're interlinked. And what affects them affects us, and what affects us affects them. And we should be making changes to our planning laws that make sure that all the animals that live in a particular area, be they human or non-human are considered when we take these developments, any type of development into account. doesn't matter what it is. A factory, you know, a mechanics, doesn't matter mm-hmm. what effects are going to have on the animals that we surround ourselves with. Because yeah. if you're not looking after the health of your animals, you're not looking after the health of yourself. Exactly. Really. Okay, so head to the Say No to Nuchev uh, Facebook page. Yes. Absolutely, yep, yep. You can head to that and register, you know, your outrage and concerns and things like that. And it'll also keep you up to date because things are in a bit of limbo at the moment where we're waiting to hear from um, VCAT as to the hearing date. Okay. Um, but you can also head to the VCAT site. If you're a resident of Lara, you can head to the VCAT site and register yourself as an interested party which is an interesting thing to do. That allows you, that if you are so willing, to make a verbal submission to VCAT when the hearing goes ahead. Oh, and that... So just... I, I urge you to do so. So you can be from anywhere. Yeah. And yeah. as an interested party, you can do that by the internet? Yes, on the VCAT site. On the VCAT site. Anyway, yes. just voice your... Yes, Absolutely. That's good, isn't it? It is. I didn't know that one. That's well, a that, gem it, at the end of the day, that's what they're there for, the Victorian Civil and Administrative Appeals Tribunal. That's what they're there for, yeah. for people of the general public to um, uh, basically take bad decisions yeah. and take them there and have them overturned. So that's that's a great little activist thing to do, isn't it? It certainly is. little go to the VCAT page and, yeah. Mm-hmm. 
Okay, we'll be back right after this. Want to support 3CR's diverse and independent voices? Donate now by calling 9419 8377 or donate online at www.3cr.org.au or post us a cheque or money order to Post Office Box 1277 Collingwood 3066. Just a little early seed. We've got our Radiothon coming up soon in about a month. Fantastic. So please, guys, we're all volunteers here. So um, please help keep 3CR on the airwaves and freedom of species in particular. So um, 50 cents, $5, whatever you can, please um, ring the station on 94198377 or keep it until Radiothon Day and um, please, please support us. Great. Absolutely. Okay, let's get to some community service announcements. Andy, what have you yep. got? Okay, so th- those of us, those people who know me fairly well will know that I've been um, a very vocal opponent of the Poison 1080, Compound 1080, for a number of years. And and the AJP even has, we have a campaign that we run trying to get it banned, not just in Victoria, but nationally. And to that end, um, the Western Regional Group of the AJP have organised um, a significant event at the ACMI, the Australian Centre for the Moving Image, in Fed Square. Firstly, what is 1080 for people that don't know? Okay, it's uh, a poison that is used ostensibly to control what are known in the broader community as pest species. Um, the scientific community refers to them as invasive, um, things like foxes, etc. Um, but also and primarily they say it's to control wild dogs, which is a term I can't stand because it's code word for dingoes. Uh, our apex predator, the moderator of the environment who controls these other so-called pest species, um, and we're wiping the dingo out, unfortunately. The native dingo. Yeah. We're at a time when we like to think we're supporting our natives. Absolutely. But we're not. No, okay. not at all. Okay, so we've organised this national summit. And, and that's we're trying to draw people from all over the country to attend. We have very limited space in that the theatre itself holds only 350 people. Now, the tickets will go become available within the next three weeks. It's August 25th at 7.30pm at the ACMI Theatre. We are drawing special guests from all over the country. We have a couple of people coming from WA. Um, we're drawing people from New South Wales. Um, we will be having a Skype interview with a gentleman by the name of Clyde Graff, who you might know along with his brother, produced a, um amazing documentary called Poisoning Paradise, which brought the tragedy of 1080 poison and what it does to the environment and to the animals within it to the world. It's a very important point there, isn't it, Andy? Most people get involved campaigning against 1080 because it is the most it's a v- extremely cruel torturous way to kill an animal absolutely isn't it? and the, it, in these days it's it's flabbergasting that we mm-hmm. just just because we think something is a pest therefore we don't care how how painful and excruciating that oh death it's may incredible. Be. i mean it's look yeah. it was originally developed as a chemical warfare weapon and people should know that just one teaspoon is enough to kill, disseminated in water, it's enough to kill 100 human beings, one teaspoon. And it's a slow, painful death. It is incredibly painful and it stays live in the carcass of the affected animal for anywhere upon months, 
And I was in speaking with a guy in, in Queensland by the name of Paul Anderson who has lost five dogs to 1080 on his property from what happens because it doesn't stay contained. Of course, birds pick it up and they drop it on properties and it, the neighbouring properties to him have been baiting and they've been dropping birds, etc. have been dropping baits on his property and he's lost five dogs and he's frozen a couple of those. Two and a half years later, he's had samples of those dogs tested and that poison is still 100% active within that carcass. It is a horrifying thing to think of. Most countries around the world have banned it. Australia and New Zealand combined use over 90% of the world's production. And we, as a gov- our government makes it even easier. And because recently, a couple of years ago, they made it so that if you were a farmer, for instance, rather than having um, a, a registered pest controller who was licensed to use 1080 come out and do your baiting for you, just by doing a one-day course, you could become accredited and, and get some 1080 yourself and do your own baiting, which means that the, any severe checks and balances and controls that might have been in place that you know we don't believe anyone followed anyway, but they, they just go out the window. So what we'd like people to do is this, this particular event is quite expensive to put on, and I hate to make appeals to people. However, we're trying to make this event a cost-neutral event. So if you head to the Western... Vic region page of the Animal Justice Party, you will see our 1080 National Summit there and there's a GoFundMe link there. Please donate to that GoFundMe to help us stage this event and cover the costs. Um, Again, like you were saying before, we don't care how much you donate, $2, $2,000, we don't care. Just help us stage this event and bring this nationally to to everyone's attention, we will be inviting everyone. We'll be inviting the Premier, Daniel Andrews, um, the opposition leader, Matthew Guy, will be sending invites out to the, the, the Agriculture Minister, Jala Pulford, as well as her counterpart You know, on the, on the opposition benches. We'll be inviting everybody we can, media, anyone we can think of to get them there. Um, and we're trying to make this a national event because the end result will be that we're going to form a lobby group that we will then head to Canberra along with petitions that different various groups have tabled. Now, I know of three different petitions, one in excess of 5,000, one in excess of 5,500 again, and another one, I think, in excess of 10,000. And we're going to take those petitions to Canberra and we're going to sit in the offices of every single senator, every single front bencher that we can possibly find and get them to table those petitions and to try and influence them to bring about a vote for a national ban on 1080 poison. We don't see why Australia should lag behind the rest of the world and, and, and in banning this particular poison and we also don't see why we should continue to be the country in the world that leads the world in the extinction of our native species. Because a lot of people uh, argue that we have to use it to protect our native species. Mm. And they don't understand that there's this thing called secondary contamination where those animals that feed on the carcass of the affected animal um, also become infected and they also die. And there's not enough, as I say, checks and balances. You know, these animals, they and don't sit don't still. And people don't collect that data No, either, they don't. So we can't use I did it. an exercise last year where one of the, um, the, the, the organisations that uses 1080 is called Landcare, Landcare Victoria. I rang the central office. They couldn't tell me how many programs they were running that I would have to contact every single individual land care group across Victoria and ask them where they were running 1080 baiting programs. And then the same could be done for Parks Victoria. I did exactly the same thing. They couldn't tell me. No individual organisation that runs these programs, including the state government, 
could tell me how many 1080 baiting programs were being run at any given point. Given that this is the most highly toxic poison that you could possibly imagine, it's still on the federal government's list of, of, of chemicals of terrorist concern. No one can tell you how many programs there are and where they are. You have to make individual inquiries to every single one of these places or groups yourself across the whole state. That's a deplorable situation for a poison that is so, so dangerous. Yeah, wow. So that's the 1080 Summit, first to be held in Australia. Yes. Is, sorry, the dates again? 25th of August. 25th of August. Yep, okay. 7.30pm at ACMI. Great. Now, there's one other thing I'd like to promote, mm-hmm. if I can. Please uh, do. Have your patience. Um, the, the, there's a rally to um, ban the dog and cat meat trade being held in Treasury Gardens on Saturday, June, I think it's June 2nd, I think it is. I've got that down in my diary, but you can check that by going onto their Facebook page. There's a Facebook event for that as well. Um, we'd like everyone to support that as much as possible. Um, Australia has... Um, a responsibility as a good international citizen to become involved and pressure um, foreign governments about the things that they do which are intensely cruel to animals. Now, throughout Asia, for instance, um, and into China, um, the dog and cat meat trade is a horrendously cruel um, situation. Animals are collected, um, bred specifically sometimes, and they're, they're brought into this environment where quite often they are boiled or burned alive. Um, it's just intense cruelty. And you've all heard of the Yulin Dog Meat Festival um, and that sort of thing. But what people don't know is that this has been happening in Australia as well. It's an underground situation um, because it's so because it's against Australian cruelty laws um, that um, that it happens. I mean, it, you have to be in the know. You have to know people. Um, and it's, it's, it's very, very kept on the down low and quiet that this actually happens. So there's a numerous aspects that these are one of the things that's going to be brought out at this rally. Um, I can't say too much uh, about it because there'll be things that different speakers um, who will bring up different aspects of it. But I encourage everybody to go there. Go to the the Facebook page of, of um, the Band of Dog and Cat Meat Trade um, and you'll see all the details of the rally there. So we don't have a date for that one or we do? I, I, in my diary, I've got it down as June 2nd and okay, Saturday, but it's something is, that, for yeah. some reason, I've got that many dates in my head at the moment. <laughs> I, that I, it's something's ringing in me about it being on a Sunday, but I'm not too sure about we're, that we're off sure the top to, of my head. We're sure to talk about that on Freedom of Species, I'm sure, next Wonderful. week or week after. Excellent. Yep. Well, I think, thank you so much for coming in today, Andy. My pleasure. My and, pleasure. Um, yeah, I encourage people to have a bit of reflection there if you're in that area, the western region, um, to make sure that you contact uh, the council and also VCAT yes. um, in support of that goat farm not going ahead. Yes. Um, or even if you're not from the area, you can still go to the VCAT page and press on the of interest that you're interested in it you, you, you lodge your, your, your lodge details, your details and, and to become an interested party. Interested party. Yep. E- excellent. No matter where you are, you can do that. So that's great. Um, we are going to finish up now. Thanks for tuning in, everyone. Um, if you'd like to contact us, please do on info at freedomofspecies.org via our Facebook page or Twitter. All right, oh, we're going to go out with a tune by Annie DeFranco called Joyful Girl. But before I press the button, uh, nod to all the mothers out there, um, a heart nod 
to the countless individual mothers that are exploited in the animal agriculture industry as a woman as you know a feminist I guess or as a I like to think I'm a decent person I I find it really offensive when I hear about what the mothers in the animal agriculture industry go through Mm -hmm. so definitely all right here we go joyful girl For the joy it brings Cause I'm a joyful girl Cause the world owes me Nothing We owe each other You've been listening to a 3CR podcast produced in the studios of independent community radio station 3CR in Melbourne, Australia. For more information, go to allthews.3cr.org.au.